Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams begins a new series entitled, I Am. In this series, we'll be going through the seven I Am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. This week, we look at the statement, I am the bread of life. Brandon explains that we all have appetites, but Jesus is the only thing that can sustain us. That's pretty intense. <laughs> hey, uh, man, last Sunday was absolutely incredible. Um, you know, if you'd have told me three years ago, almost three years ago now, November 17th will be our third um, anniversary as uh, Connection Church. If you'd have told me three years ago that we were going to get to be a part of that, I probably would not have had as many sleepless nights in the last three years. But it was absolutely incredible um, and, and just so thankful to be able to be a part of it. Um, I felt like it was one of those days where, where God kind of just shot us out of a cannon. You know what I mean? It was just one of those incredible momentum times where we just feel like, holy holy cow, you know, God is doing this and, and we get to be a part of this. And, and, and I was, I was kind of praying this week and I was like, you know, the thing that I felt like would happen was I would come out of last Sunday and be kind of like, <sighs> you know, kind of, kind of a letdown that, that after the big Sunday, you come back, it's kind of like a football team playing a, a big game on, on Sunday. And then the next week it's kind of hard for them to get up for that next game. But the funny thing was this week as I was, I was, I was praying and going through scripture and getting ready for this next series. I, was so much, I found myself getting really excited because while last week was great and everything was, was cool and we got to see 54 people baptized and we had the largest church attendance we've ever had, all that stuff is great. The thing that I've really felt like God has been putting on my heart this week is that it's time for us to lay a foundation to be able to build upon what God's doing. We've got to continue to lay a foundation for God to build on. And I believe this next series is going to be so foundational for us. It's going to be one of these things that, that we really look back on and see it as, you know, when we went through those, it's going to be seven weeks, those seven weeks, it laid such a strong foundation for us to build on going into 2012, going into the next year and the next season of ministry that God has for us. And the name of this next series is I Am. And what we're going to do is we're going to take the seven I am statements that we find in the gospel of John, and we're going to see what we learn about God and about Jesus from those seven statements. Because here's the truth, and here's the deal, guys. There's no other foundation that can be laid other than Jesus Christ that's worth building on. It's the only foundation that is ever going to support true life. It's the only foundation that is ever going to allow God to build in our lives. It's the only foundation. It's the only thing that is ever going to truly satisfy us, not only now, but in eternity. And so we're going to begin to look at this and really lay a foundation for us to continue building on. You can turn to John chapter 6. We're going to read in just a moment. We're actually going to skip down a little bit there in John 6. And we're going to read just verses 35 and 36, and then we'll uh, be talking about this scripture, this just chapter here um, throughout the, the morning. But, um, but the thing I realize about the, the statement, I am, is that for the Jewish people, this had huge meaning. In fact, it, was, it goes all the way back to the book of Exodus, all the way back to Moses, when Moses was about to go to Pharaoh, and Moses was about to go ask him to let the Israelites go when they were in captivity. And, and he goes back, and Moses is like, who do I tell them sent me? And God's like, Tell them I am sent you. How'd you like to have that? That's like your, that's what you go to Pharaoh with. I am. Who sent you? I am. No, no, who sent, who sent you? I am. Not who you are. Who is, and, and I've been so confusing, but maybe, you know, that's God's purpose. But he says, listen, I am. And, and, and so when, when Jewish people would hear this, it immediately made them think about God. And in all of these I am statements, Jesus isn't just trying to describe who he is. He's describing what he is. He's describing that, listen, I am God. 
It's a statement about his deity. It's a statement about who he is, that I am God. And so today we're going to be looking at the first one. It's John chapter 6. We're going to read verses 30, um, 35, 36. And the statement is, I am the bread of life. Listen to this, John 6, 35. It says, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you are the bread of life. God, today I I pray that you would challenge us with our motivations, our goals. God, the way we come to you. God, I I pray that we would be encouraged um, that you are enough. And you're the only thing that will ever truly satisfy, Lord. Just do an incredible work in our life today. Have your way here. Thank you that you're here with us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, The other night we went out and we watched the Georgia Southern girls volleyball team on Tuesday night. Anybody ever been to a volleyball game? It is awesome. If you haven't been to a Georgia Southern girls volleyball game, man, it is so intense. Even my children sit there and watch the game for, for at least five minutes, which is longer than anything else they do at one city. And because it's, it's I mean, it's constant motion. It's, it's, they're just like jumping, slamming. I'm like, man, they would so kill me. I know I would come out like with a broke nose, busted up, because, I mean, they hit it so hard. It's, it's just awesome to watch them play. But after the game, some friends of ours were like, hey, y'all want to go grab something to eat? And we're like, well, yeah, that'd be great, but we, we need to get home because, you know, and we had to do it quick we got to get the kids in bed, that kind of thing. And so they were like, awesome. Well, why don't we go to varieties? It'll be quick. And I was like, you know, I'll take that adventure with you. Um, but you're going to have to do some convincing if Susan's going to varieties. Because seriously, if we think about this, a restaurant named Varieties... It's kind of scary, especially when the sign first came up and it was like home cooking and sushi. I was like, "Uh uh-uh. Like you don't need to be making sushi and frying chicken next to each. There's something about that that it just does not go together. And so Susan and I have always been like, we're not going there, you know. And so they were like, well, come on, it's really good. We've been there. It's good. It's clean. You'll like it. The food's really awesome. So we go, and you know what? We were amazed. It was actually really, really good. And uh, and so varieties, we got over the name. We got over that hurdle now. We can eat at varieties. And so we went in there, and we were ordering food, and so Dake wanted, uh, my oldest son, he wanted a chicken bowl, you know, like you get at the Japanese place, so I'm like, okay, get, give us a small chicken bowl. Well, Dake's sitting at the table, I walk back with his small chicken bowl, I sit it down in front of him, and he looks up at me, like, where's the rest? And I'm like, what do you mean, buddy? He's like, oh, the, I can't, this is all I got? I was like, I will knock you in the floor, you better be appreciative for what you got. And so I said, just eat it. It's varieties. They've got plenty of food. You know, we, we can, we'll find something. It might be a chicken leg. It might be a piece of pizza, whatever it is. We'll find you some food. So just eat it. If you're still hungry, we'll get something else. And so he sits down and he eats it. And literally, man, he eats like a Hoover vacuum cleaner. He's like, he just, you know, just throws it down. And so literally within five minutes, he's standing over at the door with the door open. And he's got his head hanging out the door like this. And, and he's like, I'm like, Dave, what are you doing? He's like, I need cool air. I said, why? He said, I ate too much. And I was like, well, I didn't think you had enough because being the father at this point, I have to rub it in, right? And point out that I was right and he was wrong. And so I'm like, Dave, Dave, you said you didn't have enough. How are you fooling? He's like, I ate too much, daddy. My stomach hurts. I'm like, well, I told you you had enough. 
And he ate all that food. And you know what was amazing? It was a variety's miracle. He didn't need to eat the rest of the week. It was amazing. He has not eaten the rest of the week. I mean, he's been full. I'm like, Dake, are you hungry? He's like, no, Daddy, I am still full. And y'all know that's a lie, right? You know that's like two hours later, he's like, Daddy, I'm hungry. Trying to get him in bed. He's like, Daddy, I'm hungry. I'm like, son, just hush. You know, we're going to go broke trying to feed all these three hungry children, you know. And, uh, and so... But he, but he was already hungry again. The next morning, he wanted breakfast. I'm like, really? We just fed you yesterday. You really need something else to eat today. Yeah, Daddy, I'm hungry. And you know what I found is that that's so much like us in life, isn't it? Isn't it really? I mean, think about it. That we try to find things. We try to eat. Even food, like Thanksgiving, you eat so much. You eat so much. You got your pants unbuttoned. You're watching the Lions and somebody else playing. I don't know how they get on like Sunday football or or. Thanksgiving football every time, but you're watching them play football and, and your pants are unbuttoned. You're like, man, I don't think I could ever eat again. But like an hour and a half later, you're making a turkey sandwich. It happens every time because you're hungry again, always hungry. And, and it's like that with everything. And the thing that I've seen in life is that we so often try to try to satisfy these temporary appetites when we really at the core of who we are, have an eternal longing that can only be satisfied by God. And obviously we need to eat. But how many times, taking out the food part, how many times do we try to fill our lives with things that are temporary when at the core of our being, we have a longing that is eternal? We always do that, don't we? In fact, I would dare say that most of you in this room have lived long enough to realize enough is never enough, is it? It's never enough. We always want more. Like you get a raise at work, what do you want? another raise. And you're like, if I could just get a raise at work, we could finally save. If you, I got no idea what they just said. Somebody just shouted out. So I, I don't know, but, but it's, it's, you get a raise at work. And then the next thing you know, you're like, I could finally save. And then like the next week you're at the Honda dealer buying a four wheeler. Why? Cause enough is never enough. You, you know, and we tried it in all kinds of ways. Some of them finally like the money thing. There's never enough money, but, but seriously, how about it? When, when people are, are struggling, when they're trying to fulfill an appetite with drugs, is one more hit ever enough? No. No. It's never enough. How about sex? Is sex, is, is one time ever enough? Does it ever satisfy? All the guys are like, heck no. <laughs> yeah, no. Like I've never seen anybody go on their honeymoon, come back and go, we never have to do that again. <laughs> Glad we got that out of the way. Now we can truly live life. It doesn't happen that way. Enough's never enough. There's always an appetite. There's always something else that we have to fulfill, whether it's money, whether it's sex, whatever it is, whatever that thing is, we always try to find it. But we're never satisfied. It only leaves us frustrating, wanting more, because enough never seems to be enough. That new thing never seems to do what you thought it was going to do for you. Because we cannot satisfy these temporary appetites and think that the eternal longing that God placed on the inside of us is ever going to be satisfied. And so what we do is we, we recognize these felt needs and we try to try to use those to cover what we're really longing for on the inside. I would dare say most of us in here really and truly, we don't need more sex. We don't need more money. We don't need more, another promotion. That's not what we need. Some of y'all are like, no, pfft speak for yourself. But what I would say is 
What we need is more of God. What we need is to be satisfied in him. And then we won't have that feeling, that pressure. It's still going to be there. I mean, we're going to be hungry tomorrow. Yeah. Are we still going to want to have sex? Yeah. Are we still, are we still going to desire money? Yes. And nothing wrong with that in the right context. And as long as that is not our end goal, as long as that's not the one thing that occupies our thoughts, that occupies our efforts, that occupies our desires, as long as we don't get that in place of God. You know what's crazy that I've even seen though? Here's where we get really disillusioned, people who have been in church, people who try church, is we get really disillusioned when we come to church because that's where the answer's supposed to be. And somehow we walk out of church six months to a year later, 10 years later, however long, and we're disillusioned because what we thought would satisfy even at church didn't satisfy. Anybody else experience that? I and mean, that's my story. That's my whole story. When I was 17, man, I, I met Jesus and I was like, man, this is awesome. Love me some Jesus. I became a Jesus freak, even carried my Bible to school. I was like, look at me. I love Jesus. You know? I was like, y'all, y'all don't love Jesus unless you bring your Bible to school. And so, I mean, you know, doing all this stuff, but you know, about nine months later, and it just wasn't as fun as it used to be. It's like, really? And I was like, if this is all there is to it, like going to church for an hour on Sunday, sleeping through the service, and then living like hell the rest of the week, I'm like, bump the hour. I'll just live like hell. Is that really all there is to it? I mean, because it wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't fulfilling. And so I had this encounter with God. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm blowing and going for about six, nine months. And then all of a sudden, it begins to wane. And I'm like, what is up? If this is God, then what's going on? But you know what I find? I believe, I believe this is true. Most people go to church not out of a desire for God, but because they just believe it's the right thing to do. And, 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 most, and honestly, a lot of people come to this church not out of a desire for God, but because they feel like if I've got to put in an hour anyway, I might as well go somewhere that's a little more entertaining. Right? Well, I got to do my duty. I might as well go where I'm not as bored. And the amazing thing is that we can come to God, we can come to church, we can come to the thing that's supposed to satisfy and leave just as frustrated, just as unsatisfied than before we ever walk through the doors of the church. And I believe that's the story of the church. It's the story of my life. Why is that? How can we come to the place that God is supposedly dwelling where two or more gather in his name, that he is there and we walk out just as unsatisfied, just as frustrated. There's nothing that happens in our heart. We go to our Bible and read it, not because we're looking for God, but because we're checking off another box on our task list to make God happy with us, to forgive us for something. Not because we're seeking how can How can we remain so frustrated if we're doing what God's called us to do? This is what I believe Jesus talks about in John 6. Look at verse 25. This, this is so, so interesting to me. Verse 25 in John chapter 6. This is right after Jesus has, has fed between fifteen and 20,000 people. The Bible says he fed 5,000 men. That means if every man had one wife... Probably only had one wife. One wife and then one child. There's at least 15,000, right? So they're, they're guessing, most scholars will tell you, they, they think he fed between 15,000 and 20,000 people with two fish and five pieces of toast. 
That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. And so here we are, we're picking it up, that the disciples had gone across the sea to the other side. During the night, Jesus walks across the, the, the sea, walks across it, and then they find him, the people find him on the other side. And this is what they say. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Isn't this interesting? Because here we find people who are coming looking for something. They're obviously not satisfied. There's something that they're seeking but they're in the presence of Jesus. I mean, God is standing in front of them and they're like, when'd you get here? I mean, it's such a, they're they're just kind of trying to work their way around to the question. But the thing I want you to see is that they were with Jesus. It's just like people walking in and out of the doors of a church every week, yet remaining unsatisfied, remaining unfulfilled, remaining unchallenged, remaining just dead or lukewarm. Walking in and out, week after week, week after week. We're in the presence of God. God is here. He walks among us. And yet somehow we come in and we worship. It's just words on a screen. And so many of us, we come in late because we're like, I don't want to sing them songs. I don't like them songs. And we got people that they just read them off of the screen. And then and you know, there's nothing to it. How can that be if God is here? But here we see people, even when Jesus was walking the face of the earth, they're with God. And yet they're still not sad. They're still looking for something. They're still looking for something. And I believe Jesus answers some of these questions. Listen to verse 26. He says, it says, Jesus answered. And I love it because Jesus never answers their questions. He's like, I'm going to tell you what you're asking that you never asked. Right? He's like, I know where you're going with this. Let's just cut cut to the chase. Here's the deal. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Let me ask you this. How many of you, did, did, was there a football game yesterday? Did something happen? It seems like, yeah, there was a football, like, come on, guys. Georgia Southern Furman, right? Anybody go to the game? It was awesome. It was awesome. It was awesome. It, it, like, Georgia Southern beat the brakes off of Furman yesterday. I mean, beat them like a drunk. Beat, I mean, beat them so bad. It was awesome. We left in the third quarter. I was like, they got this. But what was Georgia Southern's motivation when they came out on the field? What was their motivation? To beat the brakes off of Furman. Mission accomplished. Put a check in the box. They beat them. But what if they had come out, and it it was one of those things, you know, where they come by and they rub Burke's head and they, like, do their helmet on him or whatever. I don't know what all it is they're doing, but, but they run out and then they run through the sign, the gator sign. I'm like, did they get that from us? And, and so they run through there and they touch the sign and they run out on the field and they're, they're getting ready and the fans are like, woo, you know, and everybody's hollering, everybody's screaming. And, and then they all get together and they're jumping up and down and they're like, yeah, let's kill them. We're going to kill them. We're going to rip their heads off. Going to beat them. But what if their motivation was like, okay, guys, this is it. We want to beat them, but let's make sure we don't hurt them. And let's just beat them just a little bit because we don't want to hurt their feelings. If we beat them really bad, then they're going to go home and they're going to think they're losers. We don't want that to happen. And then Coach Monken's like, yeah, you know, you guys are exactly right. So when you tackle them, tackle them firmly, but gently. You want to hit them, but not too hard. Just hard enough to put them on the ground. 
What if they went out there with that motivation, with that mentality? That that we're going to go out and we're going to beat them, but man, when we get to 30, we're just going to slack up. Let's don't beat them too bad. It's 30 to 20, we'll probably win. They went out with the motivation of, we're going to kill them. That's why they get fired up. They don't get fired up so they can help them to the ground. They get fired up because they want to knock them out. They want to punish them. They want to beat them. So motivation is everything. Our motivation behind what we do is everything. Their motivation to go out was we're going to beat Furman to the ground. And sometimes I believe with us, it's, it's kind of like if they went out with a motivation that wasn't right. I believe a lot of times we walk through the doors of a church, we go to our Bible, we go to prayer, we go, but our motivation is wrong. That's exactly what Jesus is telling them when he tells them this in, in verse 26. He said, I'm telling you the truth. You're looking for me, but it's not because I did a miracle. It's because you ate and you got full. He's like reading, he's seeing straight through them. And he's like, you're, you're not searching after me because of me. You're searching after me because of you. And you know, I find that a lot in church that our motivation is all kind of screwed up. That we come to Jesus still in search of what he's going to do for me. And so our motivation isn't Jesus. Our motivation is still me. And so what we did was we took the sex, we took the drugs, we took the, the porn, we took the money, we took the job, we took the promotion. And all we did was we replaced that with Jesus. But there's never been a change of motivation because the end result is us. You always get that? It's like we come to him, but the motivation behind it is still me. It's not him. I'm not coming to him. I'm coming still for me, Jesus. What can you do for me? What can you do for me, Jesus? My motivation is all screwed up. And can I say this? Listen, we all do this. There are times in our lives where everybody in here comes to God with the wrong motivation. It's still about what can God do for me? It's why 25% of our church serves. Honestly, 25% of our church serves because it's still about you. It really is. Our motivation is still me. And so we come to God with the wrong motivation. And so we stay unsatisfied. See, here's the deal. We're still trying to satisfy temporary appetites. We're just trying to use Jesus to satisfy. Still hasn't become about him. Listen to the next verse. Verse 27. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you. On him, God, the father, has placed his seal of approval. You know what was awesome about the game yesterday? Georgia Southern scored 50 points. That's awesome. But let me ask you this. Did it matter which end zone they ran to? Yeah. What if they were like, man, we scored seven touchdowns. I mean, they were all on the other team's end zone, but man, we scored seven touchdowns. Or what if they put a running back in and every time they threw him the ball, he ran the wrong way. Like they threw it to him, he scores a touchdown for Furman. He throw it to me, he scores a touchdown for Furman. How long would he stay in? Not very long. So my question to you in this is this, does the goal matter? Does, does it matter which goal we're running to? 
Does it? Yes, it does. The goal is everything. What's the goal? See, here's the problem. We see Jesus as the bread giver and not the bread. Y'all see the difference in that? We, we, we're, this is the biggest mistake we make in the church today is that we see Jesus as the bread giver and not the bread. They're standing in front of the bread that came down from heaven and they're going, give us bread. And so many times we come to Jesus and you know what's so strange this, and I never thought about this until this week. Is it not crazy that we go to Jesus to ask for our idols? I know that's kind of complicated. I don't know, but do you think about that? We go to Jesus to ask for our idols. So many times we don't go to Jesus to worship him. We go to Jesus to ask for our idols. And we wonder why we're not satisfied. Jesus is going, hey, you're not satisfied. You're not content in life. And you know why? Because the bread's standing in front of you and you refuse to recognize it. You're still asking me to give you bread and the bread is right here. I've set up this incredible spiritual banquet for you. All you got to do is pull up a chair and eat. But instead, we try to use Jesus to be the bread giver instead of the bread. We try to satisfy ourselves on the things that he can provide for us rather than what's been provided. Man, it is all there. And the Bible even tells us in Matthew 6, 33, if we'll seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, all these things will be added to us. He tells us, don't worry about what you'll eat, what you'll wear. If God takes care of the birds and he clothes the the fields with flowers, won't he take care of you? In other words, don't worry about all the external things so much. Pursue me. Come after me. Let your motivation be me. Let your goal be me. Don't make me a means to the end. Make me the end. That I am everything. I am. That's what he's saying to us. I am. What do you need? I am. Well, I need money. I am. I need food. I am. I need sex. I am. But see, that's frustrating to us because one, we really don't believe it. And two, and those, that, 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 those appetites, they scream loud, don't they? Don't they scream loud? And here's the thing, guys. Listen, Jesus is the goal. Jesus isn't a means to the end. He is the end. He's not the bread giver. He is the bread. My question to you, listen, when's the last time you actually sat down with Jesus and feasted on what he's already provided? When's the last time you went to your Bible or you went to prayer or you went to a small group or you came to church, not thinking, I wonder what's going to happen today or I hope the preacher's short or what should we eat for lunch? I don't want that. We had that last week, but coming in and going, God, today I'm going to feast on this spiritual banquet you've prepared for me. What if we woke up every morning of our lives and before our feet hit the ground, we were already thanking God for providing everything we'll need that day. You know, in him is everything you'll ever need. Everything. What if we took him at his word and really believed that he is the bread of life? That he is everything that we'll ever have to have, everything we need. Listen to verse 28 and 29. It says, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he is sent. How many of you have ever worked on a construction job? Anybody ever worked on a construction job? Here? Yeah, yeah. It, it, 
it's fun, like, for the first few minutes, and then you're like, all right, there's probably something else I could do, you know, and because it's, I mean, it's hard work, and I remember um, being, I, I believe I was around 17, 18 years old, and I went to my first construction job. I was working a summer job with a framing crew. And I go to this job site, and we were doing a big doctor's office. And there were, I don't know, man, there may have been 100 sheets of plywood on this thing. It felt like there were a million because I ended up being the, fl- the plywood toter, right? I was the one that had to get the plywood, get it up to the roof so that the men could take the plywood and nail it onto the roof. And so, you know, when you walk onto a construction site and, and you're fresh out of college or in college, and, and then the next thing they, they recognize is that you've never done this before. You know, absolutely nothing. Basically what you become is like Play-Doh in their hands. You become a toy that for the next few weeks, you, you, you get to be laughed at. You get to be uh, um, tricked. And so the first day I'm there, I guess I had to earn my stripes, so to speak. And so they're like, okay, boy, sir, come here, boy. I was like, boy was my name for the first month. Boy, come here. And so they come over there like, you see this stack of plywood? Yes, sir. Boy, you need to pick that plywood up and put it on the roof. Yes, sir. And so I would take the plywood, I would manhandle the plywood, I'd get it over there and I'd take it and I'd start kind of shaking it like this, trying to get it up on the roof. And they watched me work for like the whole day. I mean, I'm dying. About to pass out. Plywood falling back on me. I'm, I'm, you know, I made it for about 30 minutes. I'm about to die. Well, these guys are going to kill me. The next day I go out there and they let me go for just a little while. And they come down there and they said, hey boy. Yes, sir. Let me show you how to do that. And they pick it up. And they pick it up at the bottom like this. And they throw it up using their legs. And it was like, and done. I was like, Really? You let me do that all day yesterday. And now you're going to show me. I was like, what? What in the world? It's like, There's a special place in hell for you, sir. I just want you to know that. <laughs> Making me do that. And, and, and they showed me this way. And I was like, oh, my gosh. It was so easy after that. And I was like, we can do this all day, boys. Come on. Y'all, y'all better nail faster. Here's the plywood. Where you at? Come on. You know? But I was working the wrong way. In these verses, that's what Jesus is telling them. You guys, y'all are working hard, man. You, you rode all the way across this lake or you went all the way around the sea to get to me. But you're working the wrong way. You're working hard, but you're not working very smart. And they're, they're almost like they're getting frustrated. They were like, Jesus, okay. All right, so you're talking all this crazy talk and we're really just hungry. So if you don't mind, Jesus, how about let's cut through it. Um, where can we get this bread you keep talking about? Where, where can we get it? How, what do we need to do to do the works of God to get this bread? And Jesus is like, listen, the work of God is this. Believe in me. Believe in me. In other words, Jesus is telling them all this working you're doing, all this striving you're doing, all this effort you're putting forth is great, but the effort you put forth matters. But it matters only when it's done in the right direction. And they're working the wrong way. You know how many people in church today, how many people in the world are working the wrong way? We're working by trying to earn it rather than by just trusting and believing in Jesus. How different would our life be if rather than pursuing some religious code of do's and don'ts, we actually just pursue Jesus? 
And so here's where we don't like this in the church. What if the church actually trusted that if somebody accepts Christ, the Holy Spirit seriously and really lives in them and the Holy Spirit will take them where they need to be? Rather than us thinking we have to lay out a list of rules and regulations in order for them to be sanctified. Right? I mean, because the Bible teaches us that if the Holy Spirit's in you, you can't continue to go against God. There's going to be a point in time when you go, I need to come in line with God. What if we actually trusted him to do that? What if we individually would quit putting our eyes on the list of do's and don'ts and judging ourselves based off of what we've done or what we haven't done and we just went after Jesus? What if we picked up our Bible? What if, listen, what if just for the next seven days you took the word of God and every morning before you started your day, five minutes, just five minutes, you took the Bible and you read scripture and you took one of those scriptures And you took it with you during the day. And every time something tried to come your way, that appetite tried to come back that was trying to take you away from Jesus, immediately you went to the scripture and you began to think about that. Because see, here's the truth. You can't pursue Jesus and at the same time pursue something else. You can't. So if we're thinking about the word of God, we can't think about other things. If we're pursuing Jesus, we can't pursue other things. What if this is actually meditated on, thought about? What if we actually carried it with us? And when the thought came of, oh my gosh, man, look at their car. Their car is so much nicer than mine. I wish I had a car. I just, I don't know. I just wish I had, if I had that, I'd be happy. And, and what if that actually triggered us to go back and go, you know what? That's, that's bull. And and we recognized it. What if we recognized, what if the appetite actually caused us to pursue him harder rather than go after our own thing? How much would that change our life? See, here's the deal. You you, You cannot saturate yourself in temptation and appetites that are not godly and come out on top. You will never rise above that if you're saturated in it. We've got to set it up where when we begin to think one direction and, and we realize, man, this is taking me down a road. I don't need to go down. Bam, all of a sudden. I know to take my mind over here. But see, here's the problem, and this is where we get our butt kicked so many times, is that we, we, we aren't pouring anything in. And so when it's time for us to draw something out, there's nothing to draw from. What are you pouring in? And, and, and listen, what are we do? Are we what are we going to the word for? What are we praying for? Is it to be with Jesus, or is it to hopefully do enough good things so that God will do enough good things for us? Haven't we realized by now that we can't satisfy temporary appetites and and get rid of this eternal longing? We'll never ever have enough until Jesus is enough. Until we place our eyes firmly upon him. And when we feel something beginning to distract us off of him, we immediately go back to him. So here's the truth. I'm going to tell you this. This isn't just something that I'm talking to you about. This is something that I've had to practice in my own life. See, I'm a guy just like every other guy in here. I've got my own temptations. I've got my own issues. I'm human. I'm not perfect. 
I have appetites that, that, that can draw me away from God. I mean, the, the, the love of money, man, listen, it's easy to fall in love with money. It makes you feel good, doesn't it? It makes you feel good. Like you get a bunch of money. Like for my birthday, man, people were giving me money. My, my mom and dad still give me birthday money. Isn't that awesome? And because uh, they know we're broke. And so my, my, Susan's grandma gave me some money. Her, her mom and dad gave me some money. I was like, this is awesome. We get to eat in October. I was like, this is incredible. But you know, it felt good. I had this money. I was like, what can I spend it on? Because it's my money. It's my birthday money. I'm going to blow it on me. And it felt good. It makes you feel good. Like sex makes you feel good. Listen, lust, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? You see a good-looking girl, a good-looking guy, man, to leave your eyes there just a little bit longer, it feels good. And so these appetites pull us away and man, we find ourselves sitting in them and sitting in temptation and in that ungodly appetite never goes well. And so what I've had to begin to do in my own life and what I've always tried to do is I've tried to have scripture in my head, to have scripture in my heart so that when I begin to sense that this this thing's trying to pull me over here, I can immediately go over there. I can immediately begin to think, of something else. This week, I was uh, actually reading through scripture and, and thinking about my own struggles, the things that I needed to, to, to work on, the things that I could feel were trying to pull me away from Jesus, the things that I could feel that, that if I didn't check them could trip me up, could make me stumble. And I was praying through those things. And I was like, you know, the thing I need to do is I need to be, to be meditating on the majesty of God. I need to think about the, the character of God because the thing I realized is like, Man, if you, can, if you can begin to think about who God is and his majesty, what he's done for us, it's like, holy cow. Why would I want to think about anything else when I think about who God is? And so I went to Exodus 15, verses 6 through 8, and I started trying to memorize that, that scripture, 15, 6. I know it seems like a strange scripture. It's where Moses and the Israelites have crossed the Red Sea. They cross over into um, um, out of, out of Egypt and they're running from the Egyptians and, and they, they get to this place and they've crossed over. God separated the sea and Moses is really just praising God. And let me tell you this. If you have a hard time memorizing scripture, me too. Like I can't remember it. I memorize it. It's hard, but I go back to it. I'll put it on a card. I'll do whatever. And I'll, I'll just memorize it. Why? Not because I want to be able to impress people with scripture, but because when the moment comes where the appetite wants to pull me away, I want to have something to draw from. When that thing comes, it wants to draw me away. I want to have something there that I can go to, something I can anchor myself on so that I'm not tossed to and fro by everything that comes along. And so I went to the scripture and I began to memorize it. And basically it says this, and I, I'm, going to try to, I'm going to try to quote it. I, don't, I might mess it up if y'all do y'all clap anyway, okay? Because I, I, I'm terrible at this, but I want you to see. But like I started going to it, it was Exodus 15, 6 through 8. And basically Moses says, your right hand, O Lord, was, was powerful. Your, your right hand, O oh Lord, was powerful in its majesty. Your right hand, O oh Lord, shattered the enemy. He says, by the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew those who opposed you. He says, you unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. Listen to this. He says, by the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. Isn't that awesome? By the blast of your nostril, the water's piled up. That is awesome. 
And then he goes on and he says, the surging water stood firm like a wall. And it says the deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. That's Exodus 15, six through eight. And so all week long, as I would be doing, just going along about my business, whatever it was, something begins to draw me away, whether it's worry, whether it's fear, whether it's what's going to happen with the church, what's going to happen with my family, what's, what am I doing wrong, where am I going? I would go back to this and I would say, God, your right hand, O oh Lord, it's majestic in power. It's incredible. Listen, he says, I sneezed and the water separated. He went, and the waters went, Poof. The water separated. He made jello out of the sea. It says it congealed. <sighs> separated. And I would go to that. And you know what I found? And what I find every time I'm willing to do this, that I cannot set my mind on God and keep it on things that aren't godly. I can't. And you know what I find? I'm so much more satisfied when I trust in him. When I put my mind on him, when I think about him, when, when I cry out to him. And you know, it's okay to admit your weaknesses and your shortcomings with God. But when we begin to realize that our one motivation should be to come to God, come after Jesus. When we realize that he truly is the bread of life. When we realize that, that, that when we come to him, he is the end. He's not a means to the end. He is our goal. And we realize that the work of God is simply to believe. It's simply to pursue after him. Not for what he can give, but for who he is. And we can find a place of contentment. It's why Paul could rejoice in the Lord while he's in a dungeon. He was in a horrible prison. He's rejoicing in God. Why? Because things were good and it was sunny and the birds were singing? No, because he was eating from the bread of life. So I want to challenge you today. Listen, what's the motivation behind your pursuit? What's the, what's the goal of your pursuit of God? How are you working? Are you believing? Are you trusting? Are you pursuing him? Are we still trying to satisfy these earthly desires. Jesus used an incredible physical miracle to reveal to us a spiritual truth that nothing on earth will ever satisfy but Jesus. In verse 53 of John chapter 6, it says this, As Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. This wasn't remarkable about those scriptures is for the Jews, man, they weren't even able to eat meat with blood in it, right? It had to be cooked out. And Jesus is saying, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you basically, you have no life. You, uh, you, you, ha you don't have me. And they're like, what in the world? And it even says further down that, that many of them left. And then he looks at the disciples, the 12, and he goes, y'all want to go too? I know, where will we go? You've got the truth. But he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Is he telling us to become cannibalistic? No. What he's telling us is that he's our food. That we can't, we can't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. We eat and feast upon him. He, he comes and he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and remember that your satisfaction is me, that the greatest thing you'll ever gain is me. 
that the riches of God is me. He says, I am the bread of life. Feast upon me and you'll never hunger. You'll never thirst again. Today, we're going to have an opportunity to do that. We're going to have an opportunity to share in the bread and in the juice that represents the body and the blood of Jesus. We have the privilege of knowing that in in 653, when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, we have the privilege of of relating that to communion, whereas they, they had no clue what that was about. We're going to have some folks, they're going to come up and they're going to get the bread and they're going to get the juice. And we're going to have nine stations set up for each of the nine sections. And, and they're going to serve you. What I'm going to ask you to do is you can come out from the left and go around back to the right. Everybody can find their seat. Um, but, but you're going to have an opportunity to take the bread, dip it in the juice, and, and, and take communion. The thing I would encourage you with is, listen, today, examine your heart. What are your motivations? What are your motivations for pursuing Christ? Is it him or is it still you? What's your goal? Is it to gain God, the riches of Jesus, to feast upon him, to enjoy him? Or is it still to just try to use him to get something from him? How are you working? Are you believing? Are you pursuing him? Are you still trying to work your way to him? Listen, today we come to take communion so that we can remember what he did for us, that we can remember that he is the bread of life, that we can remember that he gave himself up for us. As we break that bread, we remember the body that bore our sins. As we drink or dip our bread in the juice and we we eat the bread with the juice, we remember the blood, that final sacrifice that forgives us of our sins. that are helping you need to come on and come get your your stuff for your station they're just going to be there listen you take your time if you need to pray and get your heart right get your heart right examine yourself but then they're going to be here you can come out take the bread dip it in the juice eat it if you need to come pray spend time in prayer that's fine listen whatever it takes but examine your hearts don't take this for granted one of the greatest dangers we have is taking this time for granted to communion and it's just another church thing we do. No, we come to communion to remember who Jesus is. We look at who we are as flawed and, and sinful, as imperfect as we are. We look at him as perfect and holy and righteous as he is. And somehow he destroyed sin without destroying us. And we come and we celebrate the fact that through his body, he bore our sin. Through his blood, he made us pure. He was the final sacrifice. John the Baptist in the river, baptizing, he looks up, sees Jesus. He says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the world. What John was saying is he is the final sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world. You and I have the opportunity to celebrate that today. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask them to go to their specific sections while we're praying. Then you just come out to your left, go back around to your right, and celebrate what God has done for you.